Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Unprecedented, the podcast that takes you through the life of all of our American presidents, their ups and downs, and how they got to the White House. But this time around, this is a side episode. We're taking a break. Last time around, we covered Bill Clinton. That was a huge episode. That was a lot to cover, a lot of controversy. It was amazing. It was a fantastic episode, one of the best episodes we've ever done. If you haven't heard it, go back, listen to it, and then come back to this one. So we're going to give Neil a break, not do such a heavy lifting in his research and his script writing. Uh, I maybe should introduce the man of the hour. Neil, how are you doing before we get into what are we actually going to talk about? We're good. I'm, I'm glad we're kind of pivoting away from a, a weird Clinton episode and, and kind of just getting into a, a more, I think, a, a, also a unique like side episode a side episode that doesn't get much attention like with with post-presidencies like who often thinks about that not many people so let's get into it I'm, I'm, I'm happy to paint a picture of like what that actually means in terms of the power they still have so it will be fun neil what are we talking about so, we're, we're talking about post-presidencies <laughs> All right, Neil. So we're talking about post-presidencies. And when you brought up this topic to me as a side episode, I was like, oh, that is actually a very intriguing aspect to explore because I feel like most presidents either just go away completely, they just disappear into the ether and they appear again when they whenever they inevitably do a biography on them. Yeah. Or, or they, they become like this constant like presence just looming over everything and constantly appearing in news and then uh commentating on what the current president is doing so yeah you know I, for our side episode you know i want to explore one of the most exclusive because this is like a club kind of right like that someone one of those exclusive clubs that someone could ever be a part of and also you know one of the more mysterious and, and least talked about the club of living former presidents of the united states you know currently we have five living former presidents out there still doing things and living their lives but you know why do we not wonder more often what exactly you're supposed to do after your president you know it's got to be so strange to go through the whole experience of campaigning for a job uh for multiple years then to actually be president and learn all the top secret intelligence of the government to put so much work into a job you know is temporary but you want your influence on it to be as permanent as it can be after you leave i imagine going back into life as a as a regular citizen after being president comes with a, a range of emotions that are difficult for a lot of us to to empathize with because as we've been learning with our episodes we've done so far it's it's hard for many presidents to know if they've done a good job until decades after they leave at the same time they're still not exactly normal citizens citizens after they leave office, right? You know, especially today, as it turns out, being an ex-president is actually a pretty good business move if you're seeking to make a lot of money. Um, presidents who write their own memoir, memoirs, I should say, and speak at large conferences can use their presidential fame to offer themselves as a lucrative guest to secure, you know, for public functions. And so if they truly did come from a humble background before taking over the presidency, Maybe like a, a President Carter or President Obama, for example, they certainly do not have a hard time attaining a ton of wealth coming out of the presidency. You know, all of our former presidents today, uh, living today, make millions of dollars a year just for appearances alone. Uh, maybe that's not true for the Carter, um, for Carter anymore, but it certainly was. And so 
what is wild is that presidents actually get pensions in significant amounts of money from taxpayers every year after they're president. And they're guaranteed those benefits by law. Yes, you know, we actually have one law targeted at foreign presidents. And that law was signed in 1958 by President Eisenhower, which is the, um, you know, the post-presidency law. Um, the federal government provided, you know, no pension to um, the presidents or other retirement benefits before 1958. And that changed when that law was signed. You know, they get a lifetime of Secret Service protection. And they also, again, get a, a pension, amount of money from the federal government to hire a staff and to pay for office expenses. And that includes like flights and avenues to, to speak on their own behalf and that sort. And so it's very interesting. You know, former presidents can apply this law today to amount up to millions of dollars in costs that they get every year, again, to, to travel with their staff with receiving secret service protection for life. And so I think the most fascinating part of ex-presidents to me, though, is that there are really no rules to this, only traditions that are pretty much no longer there. It used to be custom for presidents to not comment on their immediate successors when they were in office, you know, and to also stay out of politics altogether, barring a, a few exceptions. But obviously, traditions are in no way binding. You know, uh, our world has changed more rapidly, I think, in this past 60 years than it did in the probably, you know, 500 before that. And so the development of media and technology has made it very difficult for prominent figures to fade into the sunset and disappear from public life. Though some have been better at accomplishing this than others, you know, we're also starting to see former presidents use the influence they have to achieve the political outcomes they desire after they're in office, which I think is very fascinating. You know, how much power do you think, you know, how much power do you have as a post-president? And is it right to influence the government as a regular citizen that you have inside information on, you know, and once operated on the shots that, you know, you call that it's like, you know, the government? So, you know, what, what do you think, Yusuf? Like, is it, what do you think of post-presidents with this kind of introduction here? I feel like it's a very slippery slope. And also, it, it, you have to question material motives of presidents that stay in the limelight, clearly, is either coming off of this high inward, you know, we, like we discussed, like, it's like the leader of the free world, like the, the most powerful man in the United States, and suddenly you quasi become a civilian sure you still have like the secret service coming around you have libraries named after you like you're not the normal civilian but still you have to question their intentions is it because they have they've become so fixated by their power that they cannot let it go and that's why they're constantly commenting on current events or is it political influence in the sense that donors are still asking them for their opinions and how they're swaying their party. Mm -hmm. So it is a slippery slope in the sense, like it could be just simply somebody just answering a question or just being honest with what is happening and how they view the world, or is them just pushing the agenda in a sense, in a way that their donors would like them to go. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's, it's hard to know. Like, I think each president is unique in what they want to accomplish in the first presidency, right? Like some people just want to make money. Some want to influence like their policy agenda that they had established while they're in office and like it's 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 fascinating because like every president i think is different in in that aspect and 
you know, what they can do, like, right, isn't defined, you know, like, they have so many connections, because they were president, they, like, know all the top leaders in the world, they know, like, kind of, like, the inside of our government, and how it operates, and how they can maybe take actions as a public citizen to curry their favor in terms of what they want to accomplish, and so, like, it's been definitely, like, just a a fascinating thing to look into and I, I think I want to get into kind of like you know what post presidents have done after they've like you know been in the highest office and see kind of just what the trend is and, and what we can kind of expect from more presidents today you know I think I'm, I'm going to separate this out into like two categories of like the old era and like you know the more modern new era how many presidents are we going to discuss and who are the ones that you picked and treat I think we're only, you know, we're going to do maybe like just a dozen presidents here. But the first one being like George Washington, our first president. You know, he was, again, like one of the, I mean, the most like beloved figures in American history. And even someone as president had like a, a largely successful presidency. But generally, the theme of this old era is that like these people don't make money as a president and they don't really necessarily make money off the presidency post presidency back in those days. And so he became the largest whiskey distiller in the country after he was president, which is fascinating. And James Monroe had to sue the federal government for not being sufficiently paid as a former diplomat because he was in severe debt in his post presidency. And same thing with James Madison, he also was in a ton of debt. It was kind of fascinating to think about these founders figures as being in financial trouble, because you would think that like, our country at the time would have just like worshipped them in that sense. John Quincy Adams became one of the most visible house members advocating to end slavery after being the president of the United States. He was the only president to ever be a House of Representative member after, or even like just serving any other political office after being president um, for 17 more years after he left office which kind of like speaks to his legislative character and his like political like acumen, I think in that sense. We've talked about John Tyler already in one of our episodes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, we've talked about John Tyler. Because a Confederate secessionist, we have the range of, we have a whole wide range here in just these first 100 years of, you know, people just trying to make, trying to make ends meet, people just like trying to promote their business, people trying, still staying in government. You know, like not being tired of just doing like going through the motions of passing legislation. Then we got someone like William Howard Taft. He became chief justice after his presidency. That is really the most wild of post presidencies, right? Like you become essentially the the most powerful figure in all the land in like the court of law after being president. I mean, that that is that is a wild one for sure. Something that we already talked about in that very very early episode of like what he always wanted to accomplish, and so. I think that one's just like a fun one to look back on. But Teddy Roosevelt had a very busy post-presidency, yeah. <laughs> traveling the world as somewhat of a diplomat. Teddy! I was waiting for that. <laughs> and public figure, but very soon ran for president again in 1912 against his former best friend Taft, asked Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, to be given command of a portion of the army to fight against Germany before the U.S. had even gotten involved in, in World War One. Like, Teddy was just a wild presidential figure but someone who was very busy up until his death there's also kind of like a more modern i think herbert hoover kind of flirted with the more modern presidency of establishing the establishing like you know the, the hoover institution and, and kind of delving into a more a uh not really though philanthropic but just like a, a larger like mission under his last name to the briar public with hoover institute which is still exists today and so i'm Moving on, you know, the new era is more of 
something I think that is something that can expand in the conversation here with starting with um, Jimmy Carter with founding the Carter Center. Carter sort of revolutionized, I think, the post-presidency. And he's still alive today. You know, he his peanut business is, you know, in a ton of debt after he loses in the 1980 election. And not to mention it's a landslide election. He kind of has to think about what does this mean now? You know, like he is a one-term president who is pretty unpopular with the public. And he decides to take somewhat unprecedented move and form a, a nonprofit organization called the Carter Center. He kind of frames it around what was his like most successful like avenue of his presidency, which is international diplomacy. You know, it, it, the, the Carter Center itself offers freelance diplomacy. It's kind of like a consultant agency, but it's like a nonprofit, you know, which I think is interesting. But what they're like most known for is monitoring, monitoring like international elections and making sure they're free and fair and kind of giving them like a grade in that sense, like mm-hmm. to judge like, you know, how democratic they are. But even, even like, you know, outside of that, he's known to get involved in, in U.S. politics. He even declared economic sanctions were off the table for North Korea in the 1990s, somewhat taking an ambassador type of role without being assigned to it, which angered Bill Clinton as it was like a move that like objectively undermined him as the president. He just kind of like went on television and said like, you know, it's off the table to, you know, because North Korea was trying to develop a, a nuclear bomb, which they have today, you know, they have like the technology now, but he was saying that, like, you know, we're not going to put sanctions on North Korea for this. Like, you know, it, it was definitely like a, a really controversial move from Carter to undermine someone of his own party at that at that point. <laughs> how, do, how do you rectify that as a, I guess I'm going to ask this question both ways. Uh, how do you rectify this as a party? Um, because I, I feel like you can see it right now rippling through the waves of uh, Donald Trump, which is, you know, the former president, somebody that uh, still has very much of a grasp on the Republican Party. And they're probably going to, he's going to probably run again. But let's say that he doesn't run. Like, how do you justify this as, uh, how do you reconcile? That's probably the best word, both as somebody within the, the politics of it, within the party, and somebody as a voter. Like, if this former president, the one that actually won, the, the one that won the election, blah, 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 is saying X and the current president is saying Y. How do you rectify this, you know, this antagonist nature of a former president? Yeah, I think that the, the Trump question is much more complicated than the Carter question because Carter, like, doesn't have an intention to ever run again after he loses to Reagan, right? So, like, there's no, like, like the, the public doesn't necessarily, like, think that Carter is, like, someone who, like, is in charge of anything at that point necessarily. But he definitely, like, being a post-president, like, you still have, that, like, that a certain amount of respect, especially in the 1990s where, like, the presidency doesn't turn into, like, a, a media fiasco that it is today. But, like, yeah, I think with, like, Trump... That's a whole different ballgame because we don't know exactly what credit, you know, one half of the public is going to give him. Or like, you know, I guess like, you know, four tenths of the public is going to give him whatever you want to like divvy it up. You know, like it, it's it's t- tough to know what power he has in comparison. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, like it, it, it obviously it's a lot more power than we know. And I'm going to get into Trump a little bit later, but like, you know, just to, just to move on kind of like in our sequential like presence in these events, you know, like Carter, again, like kind of like starts this whole, you know, nonprofit sort of like foundational, like segment of a post-presidency and Clinton really takes it off with the Clinton Foundation. Now, Bill Clinton came out of office $28 million in debt from legal fees in his impeachment. 
you oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> and so he was broke. Like, I, I think that that's kind of funny in this, in this theme is that like a lot of presidents, when they leave office, they're kind of broke and in debt. Trump, one of those figures too, he's was especially in, like super broke. And so like more, he's like a more prominent speaker, Bill Clinton, on behalf of the Democratic Party, he kind of shifts his direction to being the leader of the party and kind of shifts the Clown Foundation as like a global enterprise on how to do good. You know, he raises tens of millions of dollars a year through that foundation. And there are questions now. Not, not without not without their controversy. Right. It's questions uh, about how he spent that money. Like definitely has given a lot towards like AIDS research, but there's also... At the same time, you know, how do you have that foundation? But he also earns 250, he's earned $250 million in speaking fees and appearances in his post-presidency life, like quarter of a billion dollars just from himself. The Clinton Foundation definitely has had its own like problems with like, you know, how they're disclosing where their money's actually going towards. And then also, you know, there are, there is verifiable proof that it's going towards the good causes, but like, yeah, like it's, it's a whole monster in itself when you're a post-president and you have these now nonprofit organizations that are not necessarily operating in a very um, publicly, like the, 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 the information is not very like open to the public on terms of like. Can I, can I, uh, obviously we already discussed Clinton and, and we've said a lot about him and it's on record and we, we had a lot of opinions about Clinton and they're fresh in our minds because we recorded recently about it, but you feel like many presidents And I'm not going to say Carter could be an exemption because I don't feel like Carter came out in disgrace. But um, like Clinton and some of them formed this type of uh, organizations, not because of the good of the the public, but to rehabilitate their their, uh, perspectives, like how the public view them. Because, you know, he came out of this, you know, questionable affair, uh, which one could say is an abuse of power and we already discussed it in the episode i don't want to rehash do you think like this clinton foundation was just a pure just a just trying to change the perspective and now because i feel like now democrats tend to see him like this especially now because he's of older age he's pretty old right now kind of like this wise grandfather figure and it's because of the clinton foundation like that was like one of the stepping stones to get to that new image correct i think that's a great point Yeah, I mean, yes, like, there's definitely like a part of that that is, it's hard because he definitely, there's accounts that he was thinking about his post-presidency right at the beginning of his presidency before, like, you know, things really went to shit, you know, and like, I think that like, yeah, like he he had inspiration from the Carter Center, but like, even if like the Monica Lewinsky case never existed, I think the Clinton Foundation would have existed. And like, it's just like a natural stepping stone of like where we developed into in terms of like, promoting like your own agenda outside of like being president after you're president. so so then i'll ask you this even if the monica Lewinsky case didn't happen do you think that the clinton foundation was a stepping stone for hillary's right yeah of course i mean hillary's part of that clinton foundation right like, yeah she's very ingrained she i mean i think people we talked about in the episode she was much more influential over that administration than i think people give her credit for but like Yeah, like it definitely was something that like was a uh, something on the resume for sure. Like the Clinton yeah. Foundation and the work it did, it's kind of like the you know it's what you would think of like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You know, it's just promoting like what they want to see turn into a positive direction in the world. And so like, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong if you can raise a ton of money because of your name. You know, <laughs> like I I think that like that is 
fine, but at the same time, like I don't I know, don't... it is fine. Like I bet they they've helped a lot of people, and I bet a lot maybe a big term because I don't I don't have the breakdown of their how they've distributed that wealth. But it is very I don't know, very calculated. You know, it's it feels like a you, lot of. What would you do if you're a Bill Clinton? You know, like what, like what, like that sounds like. No, 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 that is that is a fair assessment. But I get it. I get it. You're trying to not only prop up your name again because you're in the like it's not in the best of terms right now, but also you're trying to smooth out the road that your wife is going to travel through to sure. her eventual run. Sure. I think that there, there's, there's part of it, like, you know, that like he knows that like Hillary became a senator in, the, in 2000. She ran in, in 1999 for New York Senator and she won. So like, yeah. yeah, there was definitely that political path for her already. Like, you know, they're on that. They're on their way. Right. But Clinton, I think, still would have done this no affair or affair right like I, I think that like it was just a natural but again that's what i'm saying like it's not about the affair it's about the image for his wife because they wanted that like uh that uh i think, that, I think it's a it's it's part of the package in the modern presidency it's yeah. not i mean like yeah for sure it's about the image but it's not necessarily motivated towards hillary's career it's definitely like a it helps hillary's career right because if it's, if they have like if they have like a record to go off of like what it positive it has done for the world and yes but i like, mean i may be ignorant could you correct me uh has obama started a, a foundation this way or the bushes or trump I think, I think everybody has a foundation now yeah i mean everybody I has a foundation i didn't think i didn't look into theirs clinton is definitely more of a, a whole like package than those two at the moment you know again it, I, I, that's why i brought the gates one because it's synonymous with that it's very influential but like again, like I, I think it's natural because like he he had this planned out. He had this planned out before the presidency because he just knew that like again the car center was just like such a success in kind of like turning in like how you could still act presidential in a post presidency life. You know, like mm -hmm. how do you still maintain a an executive authority without being the yeah. chief? And and this is part of it. You know, you're a, you're in charge of your own foundation, and so like you kind of have like your own like political will to keep pushing for your agenda and i think that kind of satisfies the ego of the post-presidency life right yeah now. you're still a person in power right but the, but i think that people presidencies that follow are still a little bit more of a differentiation from clinton so bush bush is a weird one right george w because he's much less visible to the public like you don't really see him a lot in the public he's painting he's yeah, painting that, that, that's really all i have to say like Bush paintings are like the weird, and the thing. paintings suck. By the way, I'm sorry, they suck. You know that, but he took classes. He took classes on how to paint. And, you should go back to school then. But like he, that's something he takes pride in. He like doesn't want to be in the limelight. He doesn't want to be a figure that is weighing his opinion in on what the national issues of the day are. He actually took a lot of relief in not having to do that anymore in his post presidency, which I, I guess, I kind of relate with. Like I, I think that you know in my career now like leaving some of the jobs i had i take relief in not having to like think about <laughs> like the that having to make decisions <laughs> about those old jobs right but i think being a president is different like if you don't have passion for like the look at this bad painting look at this bad paint i, I don't want to curse on this podcast it's like the 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 side yeah he gets like the I, what is it like dimple i don't even know what that is like the creases it's bad i mean i'm i'm a bad painter and i could paint exactly this Okay. Like, look at this. So bad. It's like, is that even a human? Some, 
I'm sorry. Well, Picasso, like, is it abstract? You know, I don't know. It looks kind of like he definitely could just say, like, oh, well, that's like my artistic liberty of like making them look more demonic. I mean, sure, that's like more demonic. <laughs> but sure, that's literally 99% of paintings. And like, I love going to museums. Like, every time I go to a new city, I go to a museum just to explore it. But there's like a f- so many paintings that I just stare at. And it's like, hmm. Somebody yeah. got tricked. Somebody got tricked in this because they think this is high art and it's just okay. Yeah. yeah. Fine. Well, There's paint in a canvas. I'm one of those real I might sound really ignorant right now, but I just get like really like when there's like splatters on the painting, I'm like, well, what is it? I mean, it's just because like the person who did it. Yeah, it's, it's the name. It's the name, exactly. Because if I do the exact same thing and I go to a creator uh of art and I go like, hey, can you can you like put a value to this and they go like this is like how much did you spend 10 bucks is, is worth 10 bucks because that's the raw materials what they cost yeah because my name doesn't mean nothing right that's another that, that's outside of our podcast realm like the whole you know like yeah go art. go go to the cincinnati uh modern art museum which is a beautiful museum if you're listening to us i love that museum i really do but go to the fourth floor or third floor there's going to be a few paintings that are literally just blocks. Orange rectangle, a white rectangle, and a blue rectangle. And they go like, this is art. And like, it's just three blocks of color. How is this art? No, I mean, I like the Cincinnati shout out. I mean, I think that's what I was thinking of when I was thinking of like, you know, I guess I don't understand, you know, painting very well or artistry. And All right, <laughs> we're going to do a podcast where you're uh, reviewing art. Uh, I, yeah, that would be not great. Or... <laughs> I think that so yeah, moving on from Bush because Bush is like I think I think that part of what paints Bush's post presidency is that he was super super unpopular, like more so than Clinton was, you know, because Clinton had like you know uh, how we ended up the presidency is just like you know it has a lot of positive negative spins, but like it's not necessarily like all overwhelmingly negative like Bush's was. Bush's was like he ended really bad, like Hoover bad. But even worse in a lot of ways. And so, like, if he gets himself into major politics, like, how would that even turn out for him? You know, like, people mm. would just like, reckon him all the time. Like, I, I think that he doesn't have an option. But but I feel like recently I've been hearing a lot about Bush. Like, he's been, a com- especially with uh, DT's reign, he commented a lot about, and I feel like I could be a cynic, but given the fact that Donald Trump had such a bad not a bad, like a huge bad, because he probably had like 50-50 split. But given the fact that he had like a bad per- public perception with Bush coming against him, like commentating like, oh, he's super bad. He was just trying to fix his public perception. Like it was, I felt like it, it was an ulterior motive of, you know, the worst of two evils, kind of. Like, hey, who do you prefer when he yeah. was commentating on his, on his presidency? Yeah, Bush, I feel like if I were Bush, I wouldn't know what to do. Like, because now he's like a rhino, like a Republican in name only to that party, right? Like he, for sure, I mean, I would have, it'd be no surprise to me at all that he voted for Biden in 2020. And I'm not trying to say that as like someone, I'm not trying to make any political like points here. Like, I just think that that is like the Republican Party has changed dramatically from when he was the president, right? So what kind of president mandate does he have post-presidency like he his party is like left him in the dust in a lot of ways you know and like so he's just he feels probably really lost as a post-president like what what issues does he advocate for like is 
he doesn't even recognize the world that he was once president of 15 years ago, you know? And so, yeah, it, it is interesting. Yeah, the troops, the troops are leaving Iraq. What what does he have left? Right, that's a, that's a fair, like, little punch to, to push. It's a, it's a side jab. Yeah, and so... And his, and his paintings are bad. But this, this, this brings us to President Obama, because... Oh, I, cool. The, he's just, like, waterboarding... He's uh, surfing. He's just having a good old time. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's a that's a big punch to pull in on Obama right from the outset. I think. Hey, I gotta. <laughs> I'm, I'm very disappointed in that presidency. I'm just gonna say it off the top. Okay. Because I know, like, probably I come off, you know, anti-Republican, but that presidency and Clinton's presidency. Like, really? Like, sorry. Really? Oh, I didn't. I didn't know this before that statement. I think that Obama definitely has. Uh, we will save it to the to we'll the to Obama's presidency, but I think that so Obama's presidency is post presidency, I should say, is different because he has to operate in kind of like a paranoia sort of fashion, right? Yeah, like, I agree. About his achievements being destroyed right after his presidency, you know, there were several attempts from 2017 to 2019 to bring down the Affordable Care Act, and it narrowly avoided being repealed, if not for McCain, saving laws like one of his like last major acts as a senator, you know, like with the thumbs down. It's kind of like a very emblematic, I think, period. Yeah, the video that, yeah. Right, and um, like that was like, presidents aren't supposed to campaign necessarily, right? Like they're not supposed to necessarily advocate for current issues of the day in such a sense that Obama did. Like, like this was literally like, the, the, the Affordable Care Act was like two years in the making before he got destroyed in the 2010 midterms. It was like, was his huge accomplishment. I got 20 million people more like access to health insurance. It was very controversial because it kind of like socialized healthcare, but at the same time, like kept private insurance as like a profiter in the US. But it altogether, like it was so close to coming to an end. And like a lot of his policies, like in terms of like environmentalism, in terms of the foreign policy decisions, like he negotiated like, you know, the Iran deal to kind of like stop their nuclear warhead like expedition. Like mm -hmm. that was ended by Trump. And so like, I think that like, this is kind of a, a new era of like just reversing, like being afraid of like everything you did in office would be just reversed by your I mean, yeah, like the, the excessive pendulum swing, probably after Clinton or no, I'm not going to say after Clinton. Yeah, after Clinton. But that's like the line in the sand where everything you did as a president, if another party comes into office, you're going to see just everything just going back to the other party. And as you just feel like this, the country's just constantly on this pendulum swing going back and forth. Right. To where the point that you just don't see progress anymore because we're focused on reversing whatever the other party did before they came into office. And so, yeah, I think that's good. That's a good point. And like this brings us to a really weird situation today. Like when we get to Trump, you know, like Trump is coming out, I guess, with his own social media platform called like Truth. <laughs> what the fuck? Like, it's just like <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but it's just so wild. But he, like you pointed out, still has control over the entire Republican Party. You know, oh, yeah. him being a one-term president actually puts us in like a really unique historical situation that none of our current generations living has ever seen, right? Like the possibility that a former president could run again 
I mean, like, we really have only, you know, we have not seen this since Teddy Roosevelt. Our most recent one-term presidents before Trump, Jimmy Carter and George H.W. Bush, made it clear that there was, like, you know, no chance they would ever run for president again. And, but the fact that Trump can run again makes his situation now very unique that as he has a lot of insight into the workings of the executive and has a large interest in, in taking power again. He, operate, he operates very much like he always like has still like in a very campaign oriented sort of fashion like he is pushing for people to kind of gain seats in like election counting sort of positions in states and is pushing for his own house of representatives to like get rid of like the the republican representatives who voted for his impeachment for example he is yeah. like a political he's a campaigning figurehead like if you have yeah, it stop it stop being the Republican Party. Like if if you can really just pinpoint the moment where figures like Ted Cruz stopped pretending like Trump was a joke and started embracing the fact that if you don't go with whatever he's saying, you're dead in the Republican Party. Like it's just it's such a jarring shift that occurred. You can probably, as a historian, pinpoint the moment where everybody went like, oh, if I don't 100% agree with Donald Trump, with anything that he says, I'm dead. I'm dead as a politician. Well, think about some, like, I think Lizzie Graham is the best person to capture in a sense. Like he went from like, you know, publicly speaking against Trump's presidency. In yeah, him, him and Ted Cruz are the best examples. Yeah, yeah. But even like, I mean, like Lindsay is like, just like, a, wow. Like he went from that and he like was really just a Trump like supporter all through his presidency, and then the January sixth insurrection happened, and he like publicly condemned Trump. Trump on the same night where they were voting to you know verify the election results, and then like the next day he gets like harassed at the airport, and he's back on this Trump bandwagon. And it's just like you know how can you examine that evolution, and not think that a post presidency today is extremely significant like you obama is making speeches like he is a president non-stop still and the same thing with trump you know like they it, it kind of feels like they just both are like i mean obviously they're both still the figures of the their parties you know like biden is yeah much significantly i feel older. like it's i feel like it's deeply tied to the social media aspect of politics right now it's all about clickbaits it's all about headlines it's all about you know, those perfect uh, sentences that you can just put in a tweet and just send out like Obama said X, Y, and Z, or Trump said blah, blah, blah. And, and then suddenly like everybody's retweeting, everybody's liking, and everybody's doing this. And that's why like they are so in the ether of this, this game because it's all about, oh, who is our most popular? I'm, I'm just going to say Biden is not the most popular Democrat. That's just a fact. Is Obama. Obama is still the, the most popular. Yeah. Trump Trump is still the most popular Republican. So both of them are just going to be trusted by their parties to go like, hey, go, go outside, go say this, go say this, go say this. Yeah. So that that kind of like brings us to the stakes is that like this post this post presidency life doesn't really it doesn't turn off the dial now. No. Like you're not ever like just an ex president, especially like in Obama and Trump's terms. Like they're really fighting for the country right now, and like so weird. I think listeners can can maybe like you know predict what side of that we might be on, but like it's just like really 
hard to to grapple with like it, what are the takeaways from this like should there be laws to place limitations of political activity on post presence because of just like how weird that is you know given their privilege of knowledge that they have on the inner workings of the government should there be limits on their ability to make the money that they do and exploit their privileged positions you know is there a problem at all with presidents have that they you know in their post presidential life you know um, with what they've done and so like it's hard because there really are no limitations on them but before you close out your episode in your mind in your you know utopia's mind um what is like the perfect post presidency look like the carter one i think the carter one is perfect i think that he's worked with habitat for humanity to build houses like more housing in the united states he really just pushes for like policy agendas that he really believes in and that he's just solely acting on. He's not trying to necessarily, I mean, there was, again, that moment I mentioned in the 1990s where he kind of like lost his way for a second. But like Carter is like, whenever he dies, like he should be remembered for the perfectionist of a post-presidency that he operated in. Like he just, he was a person of public service, you know, like, again, like there wasn't like a cause, like he wasn't, you know, He's not someone that you think of someone as lucrative or like really like doing something behind the scenes to try to benefit himself or his family. Like he's just a hardworking, you know, person who's like religious and just wants to see the best out of humanity and try to build home for people, trying to like expand democracy. He was a big like international di diplomacy, like worldwide person. Like I think I think Jimmy Carter really is like the perfect emblem of what a post presidency should be. But he actually also opens the door for what how do you abuse a post-presidency in the modern day at the same time and so like yeah it, it's hard to actually yeah i feel like he's he oh. is the the the, pre, the 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 shining example because of the society that he was the post-president of now now society is that we're just fixated it's just an obsession with people in power with people with money yeah and there's no There's no escaping, like, even if, like, DT or Obama 100% stay quiet, like, they didn't say nothing. Almost all the headlines would be, what does Obama think of this? What would, right. what would have, what would have Obama done? What would have Donald Trump said? Why, why is Donald Trump so quiet? Why, it's like, it's just an obsession. Yeah, but they just still be just as popular. Like, they're one little, like, one... If they if they made like a public statement with a one sentence, it would be analyzed to like the just like you know incessantly, right? It's yeah. kind of like you know like how I don't know. I'm gonna like use like a nerdy like uh, reference right now, like how people think of like Batman and the Justice League, or you know, like it's just like he's just like outsider figure who like puts his in his opinion every now and then, but like is like still so like drawn upon and like. Yeah. Out and yeah like, yeah it's like it's, yeah. it's just it's just an obsession that we have it with everything and like they they i that's a great example like batman is a great example like we've had so many like reboots and psych sequels and rehashes of the same character and it's because we're just obsessed with this figure and we've essentially turned presidents and polit and politicians from a public service figure into this pop culture icons that we just obsess over obama and trump are those are like the are the pop culture icons like you, you and they're so different they're so different and it's so it's like a good versus evil whatever side you're on like 
that is definitely the stakes. It feels just so like. But it's, it's just, so it's honestly I'm just gonna say it out loud. I'm sorry. We can you can tell me after the episode if you want to delete it. But it's honestly a little pathetic to boil it down to that because yeah. no person is good or evil. No person is a hundred percent clean. And just thinking that Democrats are good and Republicans are evil is very losing a lot of the nuance on how to view the world, especially sure. when you think about like the, the 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 cinemas and the machine the machine machina machinery. No, no, no the 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 the, the senator machina is it machina or it is mansion mansion like. Everybody now wants to paint him as this like this evil person because they're not he's not going with the flow of the Democrats, but like he's been in office for so long. He yeah. was good in your eyes for so long because you keep voting for him. But well, now because it's not it's not it's not in favor of what you view as good or evil, he's now evil. Yeah, I mean so it's like it's just this like we lose we completely lost the gray area. Like we just we're one hundred percent living in like that's how it started, but it's literally this black and white view of the world where it's just us against them all the time, yeah. and it's it loses the nuance of what we're talking about. I think someone like Obama, again, unless I'm biased, but I think someone like Obama would agree with you in that sense because, like, I think that you know, Manchin is a good example. Like, he's not someone who is like, right he's like very very moderate if not like, like he, he's he's a democrat like in the most like limited of senses right now he's really just like this this almost Democrats. individual what's the i mean what am i trying to say i right guess now? a libertarian at best not a libertarian but um definitely like if, if he could be someone who was just not like associated with parties i think he would like i think that it's it's not like yeah, I think you're right. Like the, the the progressive movement, I think mistakenly suggests that they're part of like some kind of big majority. Maybe they think they're a majority of the Democratic Party. Maybe sometimes foolishly they think they're a majority of the nation. That definitely is not the case, right? And so like I think Manchin represents like something that's just like very realistic to what the median of the American voter is, right? Yeah. And so you gotta compromise. And like like Obama, I think, understands those sensibilities. I don't I mean, there's just 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 reading both of their like how they speak, Obama and Trump. I don't think Trump necessarily understands those sensibilities as much as Obama does. But like, it's weird that we have a post presidency life of like still we're embroiled in like not who the modern president is or who could be the president. Even though Trump could, I guess, be the president again. It's it's like our culture of the nation is definitely in the midst of like these two post presidents that don't necessarily have the power of the presidency anymore. Like, why do we care about them? Why do we care about the president who was most president before? It's it's an interesting question, but we do. Yeah. But you see it all the time on the streets. If you've ever been driving down any street, any country, any uh, state, you'll see a Hillary Clinton sticker, or you'll see an Obama sticker, or you'll see a Bush sticker. Like, and then you stare at it and you go like, why do you still have that sticker? And it's because that's the president. That's the one, or the or the loser in the case of Hillary, that's the one that you you really wanted to win, or you 
you're the one that you really identify with. And you that's why you still see the Donald Trump banners everywhere. Right. Because that's your president, not the one that's right now. I'm not I'm not a Biden president. I'm not a Biden supporter. I'm an Obama supporter. I'm a I'm a George Bush supporter. Like this is not my fault. The country is not in the in the ruins because of me. I'm a Biden. I'm not a Biden supporter. I'm a Obama. I'm a Donald Trump. I'm blah blah blah. That's why their voice now as an ex president rings so loudly because all those people that didn't take out those stickers from their their cars, they're saying it now. They're like, yeah, that's the one. Even though Obama did eight years, he's still my president. I don't want Biden. I don't want Donald Trump. I don't want whoever comes next because that's the one that I identify. So I, whenever he speaks, I listen. So right. that's that's what it is. That's the grip they have, right? I think that's right. I mean, I definitely don't. I mean, I think that, that the supporters again, like, really just conglomerate around Obama and I guess Biden to an extent right now. Biden is a really weird president in my mind because he's like the president that like. Wanted to be president so bad, but didn't want to be president right now at all. Like, you know, it's just so funny. But um, like, yeah, I think that people like the, the like the stickers, you do see them a lot. And like, it's just it's weird. Like, I don't know, like post Eisenhower, people weren't like really bitter about JFK being president or Lyndon Johnson being president and wanting to go back to like, yeah, a, it, you know, I mean, I could I could be ignorant. I could be ignorant to the fact and maybe there's not as. Uh, documented but now probably since the 90s it has become a personality it's not about your beliefs it's about who you are it has become an engulfing yeah it's perspective think, yeah i think it's what it spoke to in the um in the ford presidency is that like it, it it's like rooting for like you know i grew up in columbus ohio like it's like rooting for ohio state no matter what even though yeah. like or like it, it, I think a better, I guess, example, and I'm sorry for Penn State fans, but like Penn State fans after the Joe Paterno, you know, um, thing, like with just the horribleness of what happened with the Joe Paterno scandal, like those people stayed Penn State fans, even though like that was the most terrible thing because that's their alma mater, you know, like the abuse of young children. And I think that we've reached that level in politics in that you're a Republican, no matter what happens. You know, whoever is the leader of the party, that's your party. You know, like they could have like done the most horrible things, but like that's your party. We're so I don't know how we get out of it. I really don't know. I, I mean, like we're just developing at such a rapid pace in terms of like the the history of humanity and technology and commentary. Like everybody has a voice these days, right? And like you know, like us doing this podcast, like we we speak to maybe like fifty people if, at best, you know. And so like it's just it's weird. It's a weird time. And I think that it's, it should be talked about more. I think that. It, yeah. It's, I mean, it, it is, it is pretty hypocritical of somebody that like me that had a website for three years with thousands of people read, which has three uh, podcasts that maybe 50 to 60 people hear every now and again to say this, but our society has become a uh, performance like everybody's seeking an audience everybody thinks that their opinion and their voice needs to be heard and they talk in a way that kind of rise this wave in hopes of becoming popular in hopes of grabbing this this imaginary cash cow that 
very few and very lucky people have grabbed. Like if you think about you think about like the Ben Shapiro's, for example, are people yeah. that started off on the left, started off trying to like fill a hole that they in their head that they saw, and then when they failed, they shifted to just saying outlandish things to accommodate people that felt like they weren't being hurt saying things like far right and they noticed a market that wasn't being served and now they're super popular in that sector they're making millions of dollars and now people think oh wait there's like this like the ben shapiro's or the uh, crowder or uh candace owens or even somebody like aoc like i'm just to be fair yeah. yeah to be fair like they serve this this hole and we're like oh that's my voice that's that's what i've been trying to say i've been saying it all the time but they found their audience and now everybody's trying to find their audience instead of like just living their lives trying to do the best and being like a conscious part of the society everybody's just trying to find that limelight and that's what twitter yeah. instagram uh, TikTok, like they just see these people becoming millionaires, becoming influencers, becoming politicians. Yeah, because everybody's like, just looking for that. I mean, that's the way to getting a voice. Like, I, I think that, like, I had I struggled with with um AOC in that sense because, like, that whole tax the rich dress she wore yeah. at the Met Gala. You know, like I, I like you're going to this Met Gala that is funded by the richest of the rich and is represented by like the most elite class. But then yeah, if you to- really wanted to make a statement, put out a, a statement saying, I'm not attending the Megala because, and just riff through all the, the wrong things that that organization has done and how it's just right. an elitist party instead of attending with a gimmick. And then the stylist comes out, like her history comes out and she's never paid taxes and whatever. The, I don't remember the headline, but it's like, it's just so hypocritical. Like she's saying tax and she hasn't paid, paid taxes. It's like, all right, this is the perfect, perfect uh, embolism of what America truly is. It's like, right. just. I mean, she especially missed the mark with her justification, right? She like said like, oh, and if you're wondering why I'm attending the Met Gala is because like, you know, New York politicians, this is what we do. This is just like something that regularly happens. We get invited. To no, Mexico. say you don't want to come because of this acting. Yeah, that's supposed to be what you're going against the grain of. Like that—that's that, what you represent your whole candidacy off of. It's like you're not this typical New York politician, right? You're this person who is like representing this new generation of millennials who are going to be like this progressive movement. But then, like you just completely like that—that that completely went against her whole message of like what she represented in a way to me. And I'm not saying that like I'm like a you know that 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 like cemented AOC for me, but definitely no. But it, but it but it really does highlight it does yeah. highlight what politics is now. It just yeah. highlights it. Like I mean, she's a full a for a fellow Boricua. She's an amazing woman. She's a, she's very high spoken. But at the same time, you have to recognize the performance art that politicians have become. And that's just to like to encapsulate what we're trying to talk about is the post-presidency. Now all post-presidents, like I feel it, like it's just just going to become this performance art from now on. Like nobody's going to leave the limelight because everybody's obsessed with finding their audience. And as soon as you become the most powerful president, the most powerful person, sorry, in our nation, which is the president of the United States, 
you're not going to leave that. You're not going to leave that behind. You're not going to go to a ranch and just escape the world. We'll become, you know, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Like, there's no, yeah. there's no, like, yeah, there's no going back. That's what we're saying. Like, social media is taken off. The legacy, like, you know, you're every single thing, every single public appearance that you make is captured on, like, these platforms. Going like, on vacation. That's what I made the joke about Obama. Like, going on vacation is a news story. Like, you're no longer employed. You don't owe anything to anybody, yet your pictures of you at the beach is plastered everywhere. Yeah. Because this is social media now. Yeah. And so the post-presidency, I think, is going to grow. I think what we can take away is that it, the, the, the amount of power you have is only going to keep going, like, into a, a more significant, like, direction. Like, being a post-president... Like having limitations on that, I, I don't think that we're gonna ever. I mean, I, I don't see any legislation or any kind of movement in social media to put a, a limit on that soon. But like, it definitely is a problem. It's a problem. Like you, like Trump, Trump represents himself as a president of a certain group of people right now, at least a third of the nation. Like, let's be honest. And so, like, that's a problem for democracy. Who we have one president. We have one president. And like, so what? Say that. Say that Biden gets to be in twenty twenty four to Trump. More than 33% of the country is not going to consider Trump as their president. And that is huge, as a huge problem, like to function as a country as big as us, as sophisticated as us, with everything that we have going on. Like that is, that is a big warning sign and something that I worry about every day. Like I don't want to put a morbid spin on this episode at the end, but it's something that I do worry about. Like I don't want to have, honestly, 2020 was the worst year one of the worst years of my life because like because of the politics of it all like and i think that that can be said for a lot of people like it was just terrible it was like you know thinking about like the stakes of everything every day and like having to deal with you know where democracy was going to turn and what is normal anymore and like you know everything you thought of your childhood was like completely changing in terms of like you know how things were supposed to work in American democracy. So like, like what, what, what do we do with post-presidents? We, like, it is actually much more important than I think that I've even like introduced the episode with. And so, yeah. This uh, episode got uh, heavy. That's what, this is a big uh, meat season finale, I guess, because I guess we're breaking up each season with the side episode and the last episode going to be another side episode. Right. But yeah, this is uh, when you, when you pitch this um, topic, I was like, yeah, that sounds interesting, but I didn't expect it going because I kind of like I, I was like, yeah, that's that sounds cool in terms of like the other the old presidents, but yeah, it is a bigger implication of modern day, yeah, modern day, yeah. It's a it's a very very big topic, uh, and one that I feel like very I'm I don't feel qualified to to cover it. I can just vent my frustrations, but yeah. It, it has to it has to be a very frustrating aspect if you're a political analyst or if you're a political yeah, historian yeah. to try to like just wrap your brain around what does it mean for such an influential president to go out of the office. I think that's a good time to wrap our episode because like we're just getting into more deep, deep themes here and all right, before before we drown in this deep waters. Uh, how about we go up for air and we set the stage for the half of the season. Uh, we got five new presidents up 
Uh, Neil, where are we starting with the new five residents? We're going to start with Calvin Coolidge, which is um, a six-year presidency, which is kind of a unique, a unique like time. It's kind of, I mean, it's kind of similar to Johnson, right? But we're going to go in the 1920s. So let's get more into that. Let's kind of try to understand the 1920s a little bit better. And I'm excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to travel back in time from Bill Clinton in the 90s back to the 1920s with yeah. uh, Calvin Coolidge. Uh, thank you, Neil. This was a weird episode. I'm going to be honest with you. It was, it felt more of a rant, more of a vent between you and me. Uh, more of a <laughs> you and I talking and we forgot that there was a mic on. Uh, but I'll try to edit it and uh, we'll have fun. Right. Did you have fun? I had a lot of fun. It, I think that it was a very therapeutic episode for me. So thank you. Good. Please uh, subscribe. Follow us on all the social medias. Please let Neil know and me, because I kind of talked too much in this episode, what we said right or wrong, what we missed, what we missed about the nuance of post-presidency. And uh, if you haven't heard of, of our previous episodes, we have 15 presidents that we've covered. Some of them are two-parters. And we have a couple of uh, side episodes as well. So go back there and check them out. It's a fun time. And uh, we see you next in the in two weeks with Calvin Coolidge. Calvin Coolidge. Bye. Bye. Calvin Coolidge. <laughs>